I'm John from Unqualified Gamers. Hello, a podcast member of the Gunna Geek Network. Just like the one you're listening to now. The opinions expressed are those of each individual. Check out other podcasts at GunnaGeekNetwork.com. And get ready because geekiness begins in three, two, one. Welcome to Unqualified Gamers. I am your host, Cody Goff, and I have quite the exciting episode for you today. I'm going to be talking about BitBash. BitBash is a huge indie games festival in Chicago. This is their second annual event that I just attended on Saturday. I got to play a bunch of really cool indie games, and I would just like to tell you all about those things in just a moment. But first, I will start this episode with a little background on why I am solo this week and sans my co-host, Jonathan Martin, and also tell you a little bit about my unique recording setup this week. So I I don't even know why John's not here. It doesn't matter. I don't really care, quite frankly. The episode probably will be better without him. However, I am also not in my usual own digs this week. I am recording from WGN Radio, from one of our many, many recording studios down at Tribune Tower on, on Michigan Avenue. And the reason why I'm recording from a studio today instead of my home, where my podcast equipment is all beautifully set up, I have a nice webcam, I have a nice microphone that I paid for, I have a great computer setup since I just bought a brand new gaming rig and now I'm using my old gaming PC to record. Well, my old gaming PC that I use to now record my podcasts has been infected with quite possibly the worst computer virus I have ever encountered or ever heard of. And that virus, it's called CryptoLocker, or it's something similar to CryptoLocker. It is a ransomware virus uh, that infects Windows computers. So I had never heard of this before. I did not know this was a thing. This is different than, like, I'm, I'm pretty computer savvy, right? Like, I can identify when there is crap on my computer or my computer's being slowed down from something, maybe, you know, adware or malware or whatever you want to call it. Like, I'm, I'm aware of these things and their existence. But ransomware, <laughs> this is different. So, and, I, and I'll explain this and all the games from Bitbash. I want to make this episode as accessible as possible. So even if you have zero tech knowledge, I'd like you to be able to follow at least um, what I'm saying. Uh, so the CryptoLocker virus, what it did is it, it infested my computer somehow, and it encrypted every file on my computer. So basically, like, scrambled it you know, applied some kind of code to it and encrypted it so you can't open any of those files without decrypting the file first. Uh, So imagine it's just all scrambled up. There's nothing you can do with it. The bits aren't in the right places. The bytes are all jumbled about. It's like a big pretzel. And uh, the only way you can open it is if you untie that pretzel into a, a straight line, which is currently impossible. The only way to decrypt those files is with the encryption key. Which sounds great. Okay, I'll pay somebody to get the encryption key or something like that. Yeah, it doesn't work like that. Uh, The encryption key is virtually impossible to duplicate. It is, it is, it's, it's, it's it's just not feasible to get the encryption key. There's no way to like calculate it or detect it. It's, it's lots and lots of numbers and variables and things like that. So how do I get this encryption key? Well, I can pay someone. <laughs> Hence, ransomware. Uh, that is right. So if I go on my computer right now and I try to open any video I've ever taken of me or my friends or my family or any photo or any MP3 of me playing my saxophone from college or any concert recordings from when I was at Drake University in the Wind Symphony or any of my historical data, uh, none of that will open. However, in every folder in my computer, there is now a ransom note. 
I'm not, I'm not kidding. That is literally a ransom note. It is a text file, and uh, I don't have a copy of it with me because I, I don't want to infect WGN's computers. But essentially what it says is it explains very clearly what's going on. It explains it's very plain. It's like, hi, here's what's going on. Your files have been encrypted. You can We can help you decrypt them. Oh, they're very, uh, they're very charitable. We can help you decrypt them. They have a link to the crypto virus or a crypto locker or crypto some uh, crypto virus some some amalgamation of this. They have a link to the Wikipedia page uh, in this text file, like to actually give you a reference for here's what's exactly happening to your computer that you should probably be aware of. And then they had they said here are your personal links, and there are five URLs. Like there are five websites, and you can actually go to these websites, and they're all a customized website for me, a personal customized website for me that says several. It has several sections. There is an about section. There's a like, oh, how did you know? Uh, what's going on with your files? There's a frequently asked questions, and then there is a countdown clock. And the countdown clock is counting down to. Well, I'll get to that in a second. And then there's also. To get your files, you simply must pay us. And just pay us a fee, and we will give you the decryption key. You can decrypt all your files. We guarantee you'll get all of your stuff back, but you have to pay us for the thing. And that will be $500. It's $500 US dollars. So if I want to see, if I want basically any of my archived historical data to see ever again, I, I have to pay $500. Now a lot of people have asked me why why you know don't I have computer backups have don't I back on my PC I actually use Carbonite online backup which I've been very happy with in the past I've used it for years somehow stupidly Carbonite which now this Carbonite's a great program it automatically uploads everything on your computer to you know the cloud or whatever you want to call it and then it's backed off in the cloud or whatever so let's say someone comes into my home and smashes my hard drive with a sledgehammer i can just re-download everything after a while when i first got uh, carbonite it took me i think 13 or 14 days straight to upload everything because again like it's a i had a big hard drive so it takes a while for the initial but then if you keep it running then it'll continue to upload as you're adding files over time Somewhere in the last few years, I either I changed some setting. <laughs> so my my C drive, which is what runs the what it's what runs Windows and runs all my program Windows applications and all my program files. My C drive is actually backed up. My E drive is my one terabyte internal hard drive where I store all of my videos, all my pictures, all of my music, etc. And that is not backed up. I, I don't know why this happened. I don't know when I changed the setting. I don't know if I changed the setting or if CryptoLocker just tricked me into thinking I did. It's just one of those boxes you kind of check and don't think about. And so the most important files are gone. And I must pay $500 to get them back. And I, <laughs> and the countdown timer is counting down to, I believe, next Monday or Tuesday. I've got like five five or six days left in the countdown timer. And if I don't pay them for the key by that time, then my fee goes up to $1,000. The price increases for some reason. So I don't want that to happen, clearly. Um, and and they, they also purport in many instances of this. So the original crypto locker virus, apparently they, the feds or somebody, the authorities caught the people doing this. They found that the people running this scam had gotten millions of dollars from people. It was somewhere between 3 and $27 million they had gotten. It, it's kind of hard for them to track exactly, but a ridiculous amount of money. Um, they apprehended the original crypto locker culprits and they actually actually a security company released all, all of the um all the encryption keys so let's say i had been hacked in 2012 or 2013 and it had all been encrypted and i didn't pay i just kept the hard drive somewhere then i could go online now search this searchable database to find my encryption key and then use that to unlock it which is great that's fine and dandy Unfortunately, I don't know which like strain of crypto locker this is now 
because now there's now there's new ones. There's Crypto Locker F and Crypto Locker other ones. Uh, I don't know if this is the original Crypto Locker or if it's just a similar one or what the deal is, but I have some variation of it, which really sucks. So, um, so anyway, I, I can't get that key unless I pay, and I will pay. I, I, it sucks a lot. I have to go into my savings account. You know, the money I was hoping to put eventually someday towards, I don't know, a down payment on a house or a car or a wedding ring or a any of a number of things. No one likes, you know, that's what savings are for. It's to save for something big that you really want to do, not pay for a ransom for all of your personal information. So that uh, that sucks. But so so I'm resi- so I'm, a, I'm I've resigned myself to doing this. I've made the decision. It's happening. It blows, but it's happening. And here's the other thing. Um, well, first off, some of you may be thinking, like, well, how do you even know they'll give you the encryption key? So I I spoke with one of my friends who works in. In IT, computer services, developing, programming. I know I just said like three different things, but he's a computer guy, okay? That's the point. He's a computer guy, like big computer guy. He said that he knew someone that this happens to, and that person paid the fee, and then his files didn't decrypt. And he went on their website, and he went to the support section because there is legitimately a support form. It's it's ludicrous. These guys probably have better customer service than, than Comcast. In fact... They definitely have better customer service than Comcast because at least they're honest with you. But it's neither here nor there. So, um, so his friend had this happen to him, and some guy like got on the phone with him and was like, "Oh my gosh, I'm so sorry this happened to you. Let me like help you through it," and legitimately like walked him through how to actually decrypt his files. So they they operate like this, and it makes sense. So that you know you get this thing, they ask for five hundred dollars. You don't want him to turn to the guy next to him and be like, hey, should I pay this? And have that guy be like, oh, no, it's a scam. Don't pay it. Because then the hackers get no money. Then this is a fruitless endeavor for them. And unless they're just straight anarchists, like, what's the point? Like, why go through all this trouble and, you know, become an outlaw and all these things if you're not going to profit from it, right? So supposedly this will work. Now, I'm a little worried it won't. But for some reason, despite how badly I've been screwed by this already for no apparent reason, I am still planning on going through with my plan. Now, on the plus side, I don't have to give them my credit card number. So this is, this is good because clearly if I give out my credit card number to a bunch of thieves, I would then have to immediately cancel it and then it would be a whole thing. Well, the only uh, payment they accept is Bitcoin. So that's its whole other thing. For those of you not familiar with Bitcoin, Bitcoin is essentially an online currency. So it's like if you had rubles or dollars or drachma or pesos or whatever, but Bitcoin is virtual. And you can look up Bitcoin on your own. It's its own thing, and I don't know enough about it. I'm too unqualified, you might say to really explain Bitcoin and, and do it justice, because I, I quite frankly don't know exactly what, what it is. But a bunch of computers in a bunch of places run a bunch of processes and very complex mathematical calculations, and somehow, once in a blue moon, it will produce a Bitcoin. And right now, a Bitcoin is worth about 230 US dollars. Uh, Bitcoins fluctuate in value wildly. It is one of the most unstable currencies, I think, in the world, or has been in the past, certainly. I mean, we're talking like a difference between $20 and $500 for Bitcoins. So anyway, that's what a Bitcoin is. And to get one, that has been its own entire journey on the side that I have gotten to enjoy, and that's just been a blast. So to get Bitcoins, you generally go to like a Bitcoin bank, kind of, online. By the way, on the hacker's website that they provided me, they give you links to 13 different Bitcoin locations. So they're they're very 
customer service friendly. Very convenient for me right there. Oh, you need to get Bitcoins? Well, here's 13 options. Go. And most are actually international. There's one for Australia only. There's one for various places in Europe. There's uh, a couple Asian ones. There's like one in the Philippines. Like they're they're very like worldly, which actually unfortunately limits my options because I, I was I was getting really far in the process for registering for one of them and then realized I needed an Australian bank account, which I you know I used to have several Australian bank accounts, but I you know I just closed them just to try and consolidate all that paperwork I, I have to do all the time. So that was kind of sad. But, um, but I'll, you know, I get through these processes, and you generally link a bank account and verify your identity 17 different ways, and then you can transfer money. But the way that all of them work at, at the core is basically at some point you have to physically wire money to somebody, like using Western Union or another credit union, which I don't even know how that works, by the way, but okay. Or, well, see, the thing is, that's my only option because my other option is there are a couple services where it's like, cool, link up your bank account, approve a transaction, send it over, get your Bitcoins. Well, that sounds all fine and dandy, but I realized all of this too late, and it takes four to five days to process that transaction. And if I wait four to five days, then my fee goes up to $1,000. So I cannot use the more uh, convenient patient method. I instead have to find a Bitcoin bank, and I found one. I just haven't executed this. I found a Bitcoin bank, and it essentially says, cool, here's a code, here's a bunch of characters. You make a deposit to this account, and then write something on the receipt, take a picture of it, upload it to your Bitcoin request, and then you'll be sent Bitcoins within a matter of hours. It sounds incredibly shady. It sounds so... It's like like Bitcoins are basically used by criminals, as far as I can tell. Like, this is what drug traffickers, I'm guessing, are using. This is where international outlaws are using. Like, Bitcoin is not like, oh, I'm traveling overseas. I'd like to convert my U.S. dollars into Bitcoins to spend at various places. Like, it just doesn't work like that. Like, this is just... It's the shadiest thing I've ever considered participating in. And I have been to the underbelly of Craigslist over the years. I have stories you wouldn't believe. And this is still by far the shadiest thing I have ever considered doing uh, in terms of really anything. So I got I got a receipt from my Bitcoin request earlier today. I went to go to a credit union, but then realized I didn't leave work till 6 today, so everything was closed. So my Bitcoin request will be canceled. Tomorrow morning, <laughs> I'm going to wake up at some point during the day. I'm going to make that Bitcoin request, go straight to a credit union, and wire $500 to some unknown recipient and hope that I am sent back the link to Bitcoins and then in turn give that over as a ransom for an encryption key to a bunch of hackers and hope that I get the decryption key and then hope that I'm able to decrypt all my files and access them once again. So that's my life right now. That is my life. My computer is being held hostage uh, for $500, and I have to go through bizarre third-party currencies that don't physically exist to try to unlock my past, basically. So that's fun, um, and that's a thing that is definitely happening. And also, for those of you, if, if, you're, at all, if you're at all concerned, listener, about what happens after I decrypt my files... The minute I decrypt my files, I'm turning off my computer, putting my hard drives into some anti-static bags and mailing them to my really good friend in Denver, who is very graciously, like he's a, he's a very, very good friend. He's a really good guy for this. He's going to hook them up to his Linux computer. Linux is an operating system. It's very old. A lot of people don't know. A lot of young'uns don't know about it. You've got Mac, you know, Mac OS, the Apple 
operating system, you've got Windows, and there's Linux. There is actually a third one, just not as many people use it, um, uh, you know, as commercially as Windows. So he has a Linux computer, and what that means is it's basically immune or highly resistant to any Windows-based virus because these Windows viruses operate by executing certain programs within the Windows framework, and they can't execute those programs in a Linux framework. So he's going to run my, my hard drives, I guess, uh, you know, do tons of virus scans and basically just cleanse my hard drives uh, through his Linux operating system and then up, upload all of my files to his server, which I can then in turn download from him on the new hard drives that I'll have to buy, which will be another cost on top of the $500, but, you know, whatever. Um, and then I can download them to my new computer, and then I will have my history back. And then I will activate, I will, I'll activate Carbonite on my computer, as I should have done in the first place, properly. And I'm going to get a, a, an external USB hard drive to physically back up all my files, once every couple months, just to make sure that I don't lose anything there. And there you go. So I have a plan. I know what's going to happen moving forward. And that's where we are. But in the meantime, I can not podcast from home. I can't really edit. Like, I'm going to try to make this episode sound like a pretty regular episode, but I can't really edit. And I'm not going to be able to produce any content for our YouTube channel. Because, you know, while I'm, I'm lucky that I can come into WGN Radio and use pretty much any audio equipment that I want to make a, you know, to make a podcast, I, they don't have video stuff that I'm aware of or that I have access to. And even if they did, you know, I'm not going to spend my entire week spending 8 to 10 hours at my day job and then come straight to WGN and, and audio edit. So, you know, I love you, listener. I do. I really do. And uh, and I promise you I enjoy doing this, but uh, I gotta get a break sometimes. And, and I'm just so so over the whole. It's just it's patently ludicrous. It's absolutely outrageous, this whole thing. So anyway, um, I, this is just I guess I'm hoping by telling this story. First of all, you it was somewhat uh, educational, I'm sure, and and maybe mildly entertaining. Again, I'm trying to keep a light heart about it. It it blows. It really sucks. I'm not happy. But, like I said, here we are. Um, but I don't want you to think, like, oh, woe is me, or, like, oh, Cody's miserable, or anything like that. I'm, just, I'm not trying to be, like, negative. Um, I'm hoping that maybe if you don't back up your files or you do have important files, you think about it now that you've heard my story. And I am going to shut up about that now. So let's talk about Bitbash. Let's get to fun video game stuff. And, again, I'm going to keep this really accessible so even if you don't really play games, you can kind of enjoy this. So Bitbash was founded last year in 2014. It's based in Chicago, and it was founded by by basically the Indie City Collective, which is a nonprofit that uh, essentially strives to make Chicago a better place to make games. So there are some video game studios here in Chicago, including NetherRealm Studios, which create they they make the Mortal Kombat games, which I know you've heard of, and. Um, so Chicago has kind of this blossoming scene. Chicago, for those who aren't really familiar with the culture here, it's it's very entrepreneurial. It's almost like a Silicon Valley, but in the Midwest. It's it's the kind of place where a lot of people go, and there are a lot. There's a lot of workshopping, and there's a lot of collaboration, and it's it's an incredibly ingenious city. Like uh, it's 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 just a place where people like to create. I mean, look at me. Like, I've been doing a video game podcast for three years for, like, no reason, right? Like, like why did I, like, why do I sit in front of a microphone for an hour, pour it up with John Martin most weeks, and then, like, do all the editing and production and back-end and uploading and all these other things? Like, like why? You know? And it's just because I have this, like, drive to create, I guess. And a lot of people are like that. So that's Chicago. So it makes sense that there would be an organization that then pops up to help cultivate and support even more independent video game developers and provide, you know, their first venture was establishing the Indie City Co-op in 2013, which is a co-working space which provides low-cost office space for indie developers. Um, so it gives them a chance to get outside of their place, things like that. So an indie city is this kind of umbrella for a number of Chicago-based interactive programmers, and they're primarily focusing on, 
again, educating and promoting independent video game development in the Chicagoland area. Game and video game, I should say. So that's uh, what where BitBash came from with the whole Indie City deal. And I went, and I went with a bunch of friends, and it was super fun. It was it was the most fun day I had had in in several days, actually. And and it was really cool. And I played, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six, eight. You love when I count, don't you? Eight or nine games, let's say. Um, I'm not an expert on any of these games. I didn't even play all of these games. But I would like to talk about them all a little bit and then if you're a gamer or you're interested in checking out these games you can always google them or search for them or or, you know i'll try to mention where you can download them if they're available i know that sometimes last year at bitbash some of the games were already out and some were like in development some were in beta things like that so you'll see a bit of a variety here and many of these games are very accessible to non-gamers especially my favorite game of the entire the entire festival, which I will talk about at the end, which anyone can play and legitimately is one of the most fun party games I have ever played. So, with that first off, Bash was awesome. It was really good. Last year was their inaugural festival, and it was really fun, and they had a lot of games. And you can actually go to unqualifiedgamers.com and search for Bash, and you can hear me talk about last year's Bash, which was great. The lines were a little long. They had maybe like 15 or 20 games, and there were, you know, it was pretty crowded, but it was still really fun, and they got to play a lot of games because I, I kind of stayed all day. Now, this year they had way more games. They had like a ton of games. I didn't even get to play maybe half of them, honestly. And there were there was there were large open spaces where people had more freedom to move around, and that was just really awesome. So they they did an, a phenomenal job of making what already worked even better. They had food trucks the better part of the day, if not all day. Whereas last year they opened around dinner time, and it was just a huge success. I I loved it. And if you if you went to Bitbash and you were part of you know someone who organized it and you're listening to this, then congratulations, you did a, you did an awesome job. And next year ahead of Bitbash, I'd like to get some people who help organize it onto this podcast or radio show or whatever it is at that point, and uh, and talk to them a little bit more about it because it's super cool. But uh, I'm just going to talk about some of the games I played or didn't play. So the first one we'll talk about is called Downwell. And it's by Devolver Digital. Downwell is uh, available for PC, uh, Android operating system, or iOS. And it is a uh, it's a shooter basically. Um, the website itself says it's a game about a young man going down an endless well with gun boots. And I'm always fine with that. So it's a vertical scroller, which most vertical scrollers like the original ice climber for Nintendo, for example, like you go up, right? Like you start at the bottom, you try to go up. You do this in the first level of Kid Icarus. You do this in lots of games. Downwell is the opposite. Downwell, you drop down a well. Picture a shaft in the original Metroid game and just picture that going up and down for a very, very long time. And that's Downwell. And you just drop down. I did not get to play Downwell, but it looked really fun. And I really wanted to play it. But I like simple platformers like that that just seem like they're easy to kind of pick up and play and things like that. So Downwell is really cool. You can go to devolverdigital.com to check out more on it. I don't know where it's available, if it's out yet. I know it's on their website, and you can read about it, and there is a mailing list, but I don't know much more beyond that. So check out Downwell. It seemed like a really cool thing from Devolver Digital. It's game number one. Game number two, in no particular order, of course, Gunsport. So don't worry, it's not a shooting game, actually. It's not a violent game. You would be surprised about this. Oh, and by the way, Downwell was a single-player game. So if you want a one-player experience, that's that's where you go. Uh, Gunsport is a multiplayer game, and it is described as (laughs) cyberpunk volleyball with guns. Yes, that's right. (laughs) Cyberpunk volleyball with guns. How could you lose with that, quite frankly? It is available for the PlayStation 4. I don't know if it's available for anything else, but it's definitely available for PS4. And it's an interesting game. You've got two teams of two, two guys on the left, two on the right, and you both. everyone has a gun, obviously. And it's like volleyball, 
it's it looks like it's like a fighting game. It's set up like Street Fighter, and you know you just move slowly and you aim slowly, and there's a ball that that launches in your general direction, and you have to shoot it with your gun, hence gun sport. You shoot it with your gun, and then it flies in the opposite direction. And if it hits the floor of the opponent's side of the screen, or it hits the back wall uh, while it's like open, kind of like there's openings that open in the wall, uh, then you score a point. So it's like volleyball with guns. It was pretty fun. <laughs> That's like <laughs> it's kind of. It was pretty fun. Yeah, it it wasn't bad. I thought it was. You know, it was entertaining to play for a bit. You know, the PlayStation 4 description says Gunsport takes place in an alternate future where humans have grown tired of war. Nations' petty disputes are now settled with... <laughs> I mean, obviously, obviously settled with the world's game, Gunsport. It's the cyberpunk future of Neo-Tokyo, Neo-USSR, the Free Congo, Blue Cambodia, Cambodia, and Nuovo Sao Paulo. So, I don't know. It's... It's silly. It's kind of fun. It's a pretty pretty decent multiplayer game. Feel free to check out Gunsport if you are interested. It is by Necrosoft Games. There's your second game. Let's go to the third game. This was a very popular game at the at the festival. It's called Chambara. C H A M B A R A. And Chambara is a first person shooter, but it's not a shooter. It is a samurai game. So you play from a first-person perspective, and it is very highly stylized, like kind of old-school Japanese samurai stylized, and it's only in black and white. The only colors are black and white. The terrain is black and white, uh, and I'm talking like there will be a giant black wall, and the next to it is a giant white floor, things like that. And then on each team, you have between one and three black players, and then between one and three white players. And you can blend in with your respective background. So if I'm playing as the black player and I go hide by a black wall, you really can't see me unless I'm moving. So this is a game that relies very heavily on the art style for its gameplay to work, and I think they do a pretty good job, actually. And instead of shooting with guns, you just draw your samurai blade. You can either just kind of regularly slash, or you can lunge at the opponent. Uh, Chambara is described on their website as a local multiplayer stealth deathmatch game with only two colors, allowing players to seamlessly camouflage themselves with the environment. So, you know, I did my whole description without reading that, so I'm rather impressed with myself that I pretty much communicated that. Chambara was pretty fun. I was terrible at it. I was not good at it. I died a lot. I think the first team to nine kills wins, and I think I got one kill, maybe, and was responsible for six to seven deaths. So I don't think my friend Guy was particularly pleased with my performance in the game. It was fun. It was not for me. I'm not a first-person shooter guy. But if you... I mean, I can be, but this game just wasn't... I wasn't good at it, quite frankly. Um, if you're interested in Chambara, go to chambaragame.com and you can um, check out a bit more on that. I cannot seem to find where it's available, but I see a lot of articles from 2014, so I'm sure it's out somewhere. And, you know, what I could do is actually just click through the website to tell you where it's available, but uh, I don't see it. Ha-ha! But you can download the demo from their website, so there's got to be some PC action going there, which is very cool. And, again, the art style is really, really cool. It, it does look really impressive, and it was very popular at the Expo, so there's Chambara for you. Now let's talk. Speaking of samurai games, we've only got a few games left here, by the way. You've almost made it. Uh, Yo Jim Brawl. So it's, get it? Because it's like Yo Jimbo, but Yo Jim Brawl. And it's by two player games, which, how can you name your company two player games? First of all, that's genius. Because anyone on the internet Googling two player games is going to come across two player games, the company. And that's really smart. It's a good job search engine optimization, people at two-player games. But your gym brawl is, um, oh, God, how do I even describe this? It's, there's up to four players, as far as I can determine, and you're each a samurai, and, or a sworder, I guess is what they call it, sworder, samurai, either way, and you just kind of jump around and slash each other 
It's a pretty basic beat-em-up brawl kind of multiplayer game. I think there's a lot of depth to this game that I did not get to and that I didn't get to see, and I didn't get to see it because you know, people are just coming and going and playing this game and picking it up and putting it down. So it's like, it's not like I got a lot of time to kind of like sit down and focus on it and understand the timing and take my time and things like that. You know, it is a little different when you're playing in a a, a larger, you know, kind of festival kind of environment. Um, I feel like it's a very deep game, but on the surface, I thought it was very shallow, so it wasn't necessarily for me. It's described as an awesome two-player pixel sword fighting game. And uh, one of the sorters is you, and the other one is your friend. And the game is only has uh, the game is only has two player game modes. Well, apparently, it only is has two player game modes, <laughs> according to twoplayergames.org. Oh wait, twoplayergames.org is just the website. What's the company? God, I'm bad at this. I'm the most unqualified gamer you've probably ever heard. Is it crazygames.com? Like, I don't even know. I don't even know who this is by. I can't even. I don't even know. It's just on a bunch of sites. No one knows. No one will ever know. Who makes Yo Jim Brawl? I don't know what it is. Anyway, creators of Yo Jim Brawl, if you're listening to this, I'm not trying to diss your game. I just didn't get into it much. But if you like quick little fun little beat em ups with your friends where you just kind of smash each other and it's super cartoony and pixelated and like NES, SNES style, check out Yo Jim Brawl. Maybe the music's good too. I don't know. All right, uh, yeah, and this is the last game that I wasn't like totally crazy about. So, uh, but I did like this a lot. It's called Photonica with an F F O T O N I C A. Um, Photonica is an iOS and Android video game developed by Santa Ragioni, and it was actually released on September 11th, 2014. Uh, the initial release date was in uh, back in January 2011. So this has been around for a while. But it's got very good ratings. It has 9 out of 10 on Steam and 4.5 out of 5 on Apple. So it, it was really fun. It's, it's, a, it's a racing game, but it's from a first-person perspective. And it's on like a, like a vector track, if that makes sense. So maybe kind of like Tron. I don't even know if that's the right terminology, but that's what I'm going to go with. So <laughs> vector track. What is that? It's like I'm just making things up. It's like I don't even care anymore. It's like I'm not even trying. And it's not even described on the Wikipedia page. Like, the Wikipedia page just says what I said to you about when it was released. And then it 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 just has a bunch of quotes about how masterfully crafted it is. But it is an ultra-minimalist action game. And it's what's called an endless runner. So you've got a road scrolling at you at all times. It's just constantly coming at you like you're a character running on it or or a car driving on it or what have you. And it keeps coming and it keeps coming and it keeps coming at you. And then there's a break in it, right? So like now there's a space before the next track. And so you let go of your key to jump over this gap. And that's that's all there really is to the game. But it still feels really fun and really beautiful like it's it's a good looking game it's very slick it's very simple it's very accessible and i like that for those reasons also with an endless runner you know the the blessing and the curse of of games that don't have an ending is that you can pick up and play them for as long as you want and kind of feel like you've gotten your fix but at the same time then there's not a drive to play that game as much so it kind of depends on your mood like, if I want to make progress in something, I'm not going to play an endless runner because I know I'm just going to do the same thing over and over. But if I want to just kind of, like, unwind and I want to maybe hit a high score and I want to, like, be very in the moment and enjoy the experience and focus less on the reward I'm looking forward to at the end of that experience, then an endless runner like this is really fun. And I liked it quite a bit. So, yeah, basically a first-person racing game is how I would describe it, and I'm sorry, creator of Photonica, if if you disagree with that description. But, it, again, it was really fun and really great, elegantly designed uh, runner-style game. Generally monochrome, very black and white, but but also aesthetically pleasing. Not too dark, not, you know, just, just simple and um, very... So what I'm looking for, very understated, I guess, which I like, and very efficient, 
with the way it communicates its visuals. So Photonica, I would definitely check that out. I think it's I think it's a really cool game. And it's only a few bucks on Google Play, 10 bucks on Steam, or probably five cents on sale every time or whatever. So Photonica. And I've got just, oh, how many can I count? There's this one, there's this one. Oh, no, that's the same one. All right, cool. So I've got I've got just a couple more. The last, uh, the last, yeah, that's not the last video game I'll talk about, but um, the last kind of like traditional video game video game I'll talk about is called Particle Mace by Andy Williams, or Andy Wallace, I'm sorry, Andy Wallace. Particle Mace is a one to four player game for Windows, Mac, iOS by Andy Wallace. And the description says it's about defending yourself in a hostile universe by swinging particles into enemies, which makes sense. I would describe it as asteroids with a mace. All right, so if you've ever been to an arcade, Asteroids is a game where you're a little triangle and you turn left or right and you can maybe drive for, fly, drive, fly forward if you want and you shoot Asteroids around you and they break up. Great, that's Asteroids. Everybody knows Asteroids. Particle Mace, you don't shoot anything, but your ship is towing a handful of, of basically stars behind you. Particles, stars, whatever you want to call them. You basically ha- you're towing this like block of crap and based on the way you move around the screen and where you move and how fast you move and what directions you move that follows you around and you can swing it so if you make a sharp right turn then it's going to make you know an outside arc around the left like a left half circle and it's going to swing around and whenever that hits it destroys and that is so satisfying like it is so satisfying to just be flying around, not have to worry about bullets or guns or anything. Just fly around, swinging this big old thing behind you, and just smashing stuff. It is fun. I played it four players with friends, and it was it was so fun. It's just so fun because it, it's really challenging. First of all, because while these asteroids are flying at you everywhere, there are also these little red spaceships that fly in and they shoot you. I'm not sure if it's meant to be a metaphor for communism or anything like that, but you know, here we are with me saying those words. But a bunch of red ships come and they will they will dive into you and they will try to mess you up. If you or one of your comrades dies, wow, the communism terminology just continues. If you or one of your allies dies, then like a kind of ghost ship will fly by. And if you smash that with the mace, then they come back to life. So there is this constant ability to, you know, revive your teammates to help you get a higher and higher score while you're dodging these red things and trying to destroy as many asteroids as possible. It was amazingly fun. I highly recommend this game. It it was just it just scratched this itch of just fly around destroying stuff, and yet in such a simple and amazingly simple way that you know you can pick up and play at any time. But also it's it's very addictive. And there's three different types of ships. There's like a light ship that moves faster, a medium ship that's kind of standard, and then a heavy ship that just has larger crap behind it that you're swinging at things and i like the heavy ship personally but there's there's a couple different styles of play that you can you can utilize so that's really fun i would definitely recommend particle mace and i'm probably going to get it because it's only five dollars on steam has a nine out of ten rating Uh, apparently it says in the description it was inspired by geometry wars as well as asteroids amplitude and many others i'm also a huge geometry wars fan so (laughs) this uh that shows, I guess, in my love for uh, this game, basically. And it's $5 not even on sale. I, I, don't, I don't even need to wait for it to go on sale. I'm probably just going to buy it you know, today. But if it does go on sale, then you can get it for even cheaper. I mean, goodness gracious, why would you not get it? So that's Particle Mace by a video game developer that I... Should pro- oh, well, Andy Wallace, right? I thought that I was thinking maybe there might be a company, but no, it's just this guy. This is guy, and uh, good for you, Andy. I hope you're listening to this and you feel very proud of yourself. And even though this game came out, you know, in 2014, and I, you don't need my congratulations because you already have like 12 awards for this game. Uh, still, congratulations as an extra one for being super awesome. So uh, yeah, good job, um, Andy, and keep up the good work. Particle Mace rules. All right, two more games I'm going to do. One is called, one I talked about last year, so I won't get super into it, but it is called Johann Sebastian Joust. And that made a 
that made a, a reappearance at this year's Bit Bash. Johann Sebastian Joust is not a video game that uses graphics or a monitor. Uh, the, the computer will have those, but they're not relevant to the play. What you do is players hold a PlayStation Move controller, which is it's essentially a Wii remote, so let's just think of it that way. So they hold a, a PlayStation Move controller, it's like a remote, still, while it, others attempt to bump into them. So you and I are playing. You're holding a Wii remote, let's call it. I'm holding a Wii remote. And some soft, slow music starts to play. Cool, all right. We are not allowed to move. There's a, there's a gyroscope or a motion. I don't know what they're called, but the thing that makes uh, the controller move, right, detects motion. The, the motion detector in the controller, if we move faster than that music, then it'll go and a light will flash and then you're out of the game. So I might reach over and I might try to hit your forearm that's holding that controller. I might try to hit the controller. I might try to just push you in the chest and knock you over. That would be very violent. I don't think I would probably do that to you, but just, you, you know, you get what I'm saying. So it can be a very physical game. You could probably play full contact if you want it. We were playing in a parking lot on concrete with a bunch of gamers who probably didn't want to be physically injured, so we didn't do that quite that way. But I mean, there were some tall dudes, like, you know, kind of flicking their wrist at some smaller girls that, you know, they're just knocking them over so that they move their controller too fast. Uh, it's the price you pay to win, I guess. You just got to... You just got to check your pride and be willing to attack people half your size. But Johann Sebastian Jess is really fun. Uh, it's, it's impractical to play outside of this environment because you need between two and seven motion controllers to play this game. And I don't know. I mean, it's PlayStation 4, PlayStation 3. It's available for computers. It was running on a computer. But you would still need the hardware. And, like, for me, I don't have... Like, that's expensive. It's expensive hardware. So... For me, it's it's impractical as a game to own, but if you want to get it, then get it. I actually don't know where you get it. It's got to be free, right? Maybe not. No, that wouldn't make sense. Let's find out. Let's go to their website. Let's go to their press kit. I don't know. You can actually get it um, on Steam for, drumroll please, $15. But you're actually buying Sports Friends, which has a bunch of games, including Johann Sebastian Joust. So what I'm saying is check out Sports Friends on your own if you'd like. I have not played any of the games in it except Johann Sebastian Joust. Johann Sebastian Joust is incredibly fun, but it is kind of impractical unless you've got the hardware. So overall, totally recommend all of this stuff. You can just go to jsjoust.com to see like videos of people playing. I, I have some on my Instagram as well. And actually, speaking of my Instagram, go to instagram.com slash Cody Goff. You should know how to spell my name. If you don't, you can find, you, you know how to, it's G-O-U-G-H. It's like cough with a, with a G, okay? So go to Cody Goff on Instagram. That's my username. And my last like 10 posts are all videos from Bitbash. Or just search hashtag Bitbash uh, or Bitbash2015 or Bitbash Chicago or whatever, and you'll you'll get to a lot of videos of all this stuff. Most of the things I've talked about so far, you'll see videos of. But there is one, and there is one, and this is my final one that I, the, my final game I'd like to talk about, that was by far my favorite game of the entire the entire event, and there is definitely a video of this. But I say just get it, just buy this game. I am definitely going to buy this game. And this game is called Elbow Room. It's by Deep Dark Hole, which is three people based in New York. Oh, I'm sorry. They're all current or former members of Cypher Prime Studios in Philly. Um, so out on the East Coast, these guys from Deep Dark Hole created this game called Elbow Room, and my God, it's so fun. You can go to deepdarkhole.com to learn about it, but it is, it's, it's the simplest game. Like, Elbow Room is like Twister for the 21st century. It's like Twister. It actually, that's probably the closest analogy I can come up with, actually, is Twister. What it is, it's, it's, so it's described as a game about personal space, perpetual motion, and hitting a single key better than everybody else. 
All right, let me break it down for you. Picture on a screen a pie chart, and it has five pieces of pie. Each piece of pie has any key on a keyboard, all right? One of the pieces has the letter K. One has the left arrow. One has enter. One has an asterisk. One has the number seven, okay? You keep your finger on the number seven on the keyboard. You physically keep that on the number seven, all right? Seven is your seven is yours, okay? Seven is your key. There is a line that goes clockwise around this circle, like a clock, just a long line that goes around the clock. When that line is over the number seven, you press the number seven. And then it keeps going. And then when it comes back to your number, press seven again. That's all you do. When it passes your number, you press it. Or your letter or whatever. If it passes your key, you pass it. Now, if you tap it twice, if you double tap it, if it's hovering over the number seven and you double tap seven, then it will that line will abruptly reverse directions. It will jerk in the opposite direction. Now, maybe the guy with the letter L is before you and the guy with the escape key is after you. The guy with the escape key has got his finger ready to go. All right, cool. He'll hit, you know, you'll hit seven and then I'll hit the escape key. We're good. But then you double tap seven. Suddenly that guy hits the escape key and he gets dinged for it because you're not supposed to press a key when it's not on your thing. You're only supposed to press it when it goes over you. And at the same time, the guy with his finger on the letter K, suddenly it's back to him. He didn't expect it, so he misses it. He gets dinged for that. And that is how you win the game, is by reversing occasionally or not. It, that, maybe that's not how you win the game. Maybe that that's how people lose the game, okay? That's how you lose this game. If you're like, oh, it sounds so easy. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, it's easy. Uh, to not lose the game, you just have to have really fast reflexes. And, of course, that line moves faster and faster around the circle as you go and changes pace. And it is so much fun. And, and let's say you get eliminated. That means that the pie immediately eliminates the number seven, and all the other pie pieces close in so that maybe before you were one-fifth of the pie, well, now you're one-fourth of the pie. So the size of your area is larger, which you would think makes the game easier, but at, at the, you know, the smaller it gets in terms of numbers of pieces, let's say there's only three quadrants left, that line starts to move real fast. And then when there's only two, you go into dual mode, and the entire screen is lit up, and your field of key pressability shrinks gradually until it's very small, and then someone wins. This game <laughs> was... I, I played for 20 minutes. I mean, I straight up... It supports as many keys as there are on our keyboard. It supports 101 players. You Like, literally, 101 players. I did not play a game with fewer than 30 people. Now, granted, they had two keyboards set up, so it was a little easier for people to get in there. But these two keyboards were placed on top of a table, like you would have like a banquet hall, like you know that you would sit a stool at. And oh, literally, if there was room to physically get your hand on one, people were contorting their bodies in any any position to get in on the game. So like there was a game that was really full and I couldn't really elbow my way in. So I crouched under the table and stepped to the side. And like I, I ended up next to like seven other people that were crouching under the table with their hands reaching up on top of the table with just the one key. Because you don't have to look at it. You know what key it is. You've got one button. You press it. You see that key on the screen, you press that key. That's all you do. And it was it was so fun. It was like it was it was just a ridiculous amount of fun. It is simple. It is a one-button game. The rounds are short. It's easy to join. It's easy to play. There are two rules. Tap on your letter, double tap to reverse. Well, missing your out, I guess, would be the third letter, or the third rule. But that's it. And it's just a bunch of guys in the same room. And you can download it for Mac or Windows or a penguin. What the hell is that? There's a penguin. I don't know what that is. I'm on their website right now. You can download it for Apple or Windows or Penguin. What is that Penguin? I don't know what that Penguin is. 
I'm sure you'll tell me in the comments. But you can pay what you want. So, you know, the you know, right, it says buy now for ten dollars, but you can you can literally pay any price for this game. I'm going to give them money, and it will not be one dollar. It will be more than one dollar. I don't know how much more than five dollars it will be. I don't know if it'll be ten. It could be ten. I'm not going to say, but I'm going to give them money for this game because it's awesome. Because Elbow Room is an awesome game. And I would play this with two of my friends, or I would bust this out at a party and play this with 15 of my friends. It is very fun, very fast, had a fun and cute little soundtrack that I enjoyed. It has like confetti flying all over the place all the time. It's very brightly colored, very pastel, very vibrant. And it's a party game, so that makes sense. It's just a vibrant party game. And I love it. So... For me, my favorite part of Bitbash was Elbow Room by Deep Dark Hole, and I highly recommend you check it out. Literally anyone can play this. If you have eyes and you know how to press a key on a keyboard, you can play this game. So that is my summary for the most part of Bitbash. There was one other area... They added it. Well, they added a new area this year where you could actually play board games that I believe was sponsored by or brought to you by or featured by Cards Against Humanity. And the creators of Cards Against Humanity are from just outside Chicago. I actually know someone who went to high school with the creators uh, out in the Burbs. So uh, that that was an area that I didn't actually get to visit, sadly. But there was also an 18 and up area for some more adult games. And there were some interesting games. There's one where you have to shift the gear on a car several times quickly and it shows the driver's face as if he's like kind of getting off on it. It was described as like an autoerotic racing game or something. Very strange. And there was one where it's a four-player game where you literally play as four um, penises and you just... I'm not even going to actually get into the rest of it, but it's you lit. It was really very uh, kind of um, traumatizing, quite frankly. I, then I just look up for penis game. Actually, maybe don't do that. Don't forget I said anything about that entire game. But there was some weird stuff back there. There was one where you you play as some woman who has to walk around like an office building or something. Very simple looking game. Looks like it could have been on a computer in 1989. And you walk around, you pick up a guy, you bring him to like a side room, and you have to press keys in a certain rhythm to basically have sex with that guy before someone else notices and you break their heart. And for some reason, Che Guevara was in it. Uh, El Che, the Che. I don't really, I didn't quite follow. It was kind of fun looking. I watched my friend play it for a while. I've got some video, but I can't put that on Instagram. This is kind of weird. But I liked the 18 and up area. It was fun to see. You know, sometimes developers, they can do stupid stuff. Not, And I don't mean stupid like bad. I just mean silly or, you know, really off the cuff or outrageous. Off the cuff's not the right word term. But, um, yeah, just kind of outrageous, weird stuff. I like the 18 and up area, but I didn't really want to get too much into that on, on this episode. So, But that's Bitbash. That was Bitbash this year. It was really great and fun. I really hope that they continue to host events. They did an itty bitty bash last sometime over the winter time, and they made it Hawaiian themed. And it was just a smaller version where you got to play the six or eight games there, and that was fun too. So I really hope that the Indie City Collective continues to grow and help cultivate this whole gaming scene. And on future episodes of this podcast, when I come into this studio right here at Tribune Tower, and when we get to the point, we know when I when I get to the point where the people of Bitbash are listening to me talk about how awesome they are, um, you know, if you are listening right now and you're in in any way involved with the indie gaming scene in Chicago or developing games or organizing games or using games for learning or anything, I would like to hear from you. You can contact me at unqualifiedpodcast at gmail.com. There's also a contact form on our website, unqualifiedgamers.com. And you can also find my contact information via my Tribune address. That will be at wgmplus.com, where this wonderful podcast is being hosted. 
so graciously. Not hosted, uh, being... Um, it's there. It's on WGMPlus.com. And uh, I didn't have caffeine before the podcast. And doing a solo episode is kind of challenging, so I apologize. Uh, and um, we're also on GunnaGeek.com. GunnaGeek Network is a thing that we are a part of. So next week, I'm hoping John will be back with me. I may be... God knows how I'll be recording since my computer will probably still be destroyed at home, but we'll figure something out. We'll have some more content for you. And I'm just really excited that I got to share my experience with Bitbash. You know, go feel free to check them out on the internet and don't get hit by a crypto locker virus because it is literally the worst. And wish me luck giving terrorists ransom money. That is definitely not a phrase I ever thought I would hear myself say. And yet here we are. <laughs>